1 Timothy chapter 5. We're actually returning to a passage that we looked at for Mother's Day several weeks ago. And it was my intention when we did that to return on Father's Day to address the fathers. So there will be some overlap and review here in the message, but as I have found through the years, and especially in light of our church, churches, and our culture today, that this is probably an emphasis that cannot be repeated too frequently and to bring back to the forefront of our minds. I think all of us are aware that in our nation today, we are celebrating this occasion called Father's Day. And Father's Day can be a time of great joy, and it can be a time of great grief. Uh, My wife and I, both of us, our fathers are no longer here on this earth. And every Father's Day, we always think about them, not only on Father's Day, I was mentioning to my wife as we were traveling back down south this past week and came into the city of Greenville, South Carolina. I can never, never not head toward that city. And in spite of all my friends, and we have lots of relatives there, I always think about my father. And uh, that was a frequent place where I would go. There was times I would go to his house and how to actually sequester myself up. It may be that I was preparing a series. It may be I was seeking the Lord about direction or guidance. Or frequently, I was there to write papers or write articles that I was doing and just kind of a place where I could get away and sequester myself. <clears throat> and so when I go down there, that's what I think about. And I think about my father. And in spite of the fact that my father did not know the Lord... And my father, as all fathers, had, could I say this, lots of imperfections and shortcomings. There's never a time that I'm not in a place that I think about him that I always pray and thank the Lord for him. And thank the Lord for his influence in my heart and life. But when they're not here, it's always a grief. My wife does the exact same thing as she thinks about her father. She Frequents it, I would say, on his birthday. She still has his birthday on the calendar. Still has her parents' anniversary there on the calendar. Thinks about it on Mother's Day, Father's Day. And <clears throat> my wife was particularly close to her father, which I was thankful because I was able to see how well she treated her father. And I knew that by God's grace that she would attempt to treat me well also. And she has done that. Uh, through the years. But my point is, is that not every holiday in America is a time for joy for everybody. It can be actually a great time of hurt <clears throat> or grief, and we don't want to allow that sentiment to overcome the occasion of those of you that do have your father still alive. And I want to encourage you that if your father is still alive, no matter what their imperfections are. All people are sinful in the sight of God. They all fall short of His glory. But to really communicate your deep gratitude toward both of your parents uh, while they are still living. I don't know how many funerals I've done through the years, but I can honestly say... that in a good majority of them, someone will not say something along these lines to me on how they wished that they had taken time to communicate to their loved one who was there in that grave and in that casket exactly how endearing they were to them. And I'm sure some of you may have thought the very same thing. So do take this time to do that, and the Lord would be pleased in that. This is actually His command to us to honor our fathers and our mothers regardless of their sinfulness. And I do want to encourage, I don't know of anyone here that perhaps has this in their lives, but don't allow the devil to put a 
stumbling block between you and your parents. Uh, you may not agree with everything about your parents. Your parents may have actually hurt you deeply. But don't allow the evil one to do that in your heart and in your life. Try to keep, acknowledge the hurt, acknowledge those things, but keep the communication, keep the love flowing between you and your parents. And the Lord will be honored with that. The Lord definitely kept His love flowing to us when we were still in sin and trespasses. He loved us, didn't He? And so let us <clears throat> love others. Let's read here in 1 Timothy chapter 5. <clears throat> and I'm going to again read verses 1 and 2 as a unit. The Bible is speaking to Timothy as a pastor. And Paul writes, the Lord communicates to him, Do not sharply rebuke an older man but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. As I mentioned, we looked at this passage for Mother's Day, consecrating and concentrating our focus on verse 2. Here's Timothy... Timothy is somewhere between the ages of 30 and 40 years of age. In the Greek world, there was no such thing as a teenager. In fact, even in our culture, if you were to trace the usage of the word teenager, you will find that prior to World War II, which wasn't that long ago, prior to World War II, that word was not used in our society. You would be hard-pressed to find that word in the dictionary. So the usage of the word teenager and the teenager as a culture is relatively new. But in Timothy's day, Timothy, Paul describes him as a youth. He tells Timothy, flee youthful what? Lust. Lust. When that culture, and I'm quoting from an early church father who wrote, 30 is the first stage of a young man's age. So in other words, they considered you a child up to the age of 30, and they consider you a young man upon the age of 30 years of age. And this church father wrote, 30 is the first stage of a young man's age and extends to 40 as all will admit. So you don't become really young as Timothy until you're between the ages of 30 and 40 years of age. So I would assume, would you not, that anything older than 40 would not be considered young in the Greek culture. And of course, Paul would write, prior to his being martyred for the Lord Jesus Christ, he called himself Paul the Aged. And Paul, we think, would have been somewhere in his early 60s in that time, right before he saw the Lord. So when we're talking about youth in the New Testament, we're talking about the ages of 30 and 40, and Timothy would be between the ages of 30 and 40. Most commentators think that he was closer to the age of 40. Why is that significant? Because Paul was telling this man between the ages of 30 and 40, in the pastoral epistles, that he needs to be an example to all and that he needs to walk in that congregation with a certain attitude toward those older than he is and towards those who are younger. And basically, if we were going to sum it up, we would sum it up in this way. Timothy was to walk as a leader within that congregation as if he was walking in the midst of family. 
And of course, family is a term that the New Testament uses of a church. And you do too, don't you? Sometimes you'll refer to our church what? Our church family. And we know that he's talking about this because he says, verse 1, don't sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. So those who were older than him were to, Timothy was to have to teach, have to perhaps correct, or even at times rebuke, but in his attitude toward those who were older than him, he was to appeal to them or entreat them as a father. Well, what about the ladies within the church that were older than Timothy? He was to, look at verse 2, he was to appeal to them as if they were his, his mother. And folks, there is a certain attitude that you have that is different within the family and those who are your parents, right? Your father and your mother, then perhaps you would treat those at the workplace, right? Or at a sporting activity of which you are participating. Here within the house of the Lord, there is to be this attitude, not only for Timothy, because remember, Timothy is modeling this. He is to model this to the congregation. So it's not just Timothy coming to someone older than him and treating him as if he was his father or if he was his mother, but every one of the membership is to do that also, right? And so you see it again, verse 1 of chapter 5. He was to <clears throat> appeal to younger men as if they were what? They were his brothers. And the same thing with the ladies. He was to appeal to younger women as if they were sisters. And Paul adds this because of that over-constant temptation for impurity in mind, thought, or deed. He says, but treat them as your sister with all what? With all purity as you are engaging them. The greatest honor that we could give to our fathers today or to our mothers is the honor of proper behavior toward them. We may be able to give them a card. We may be able to write, I love you. We may be able to send your mother flowers or maybe get your father a drill you know, or something like that or a lawnmower because you want to encourage him to mow the yard. But whatever. You can get him all kinds of things, but every individual, including you, what really shows honor to you as a person is proper behavior, or we could just sum it up under this word, respect. Folks, don't you love it when people show you respect? Yes or no? Yes. You do. Well, the way to gain respect is to show respect. And folks, <clears throat> this day in our nation in which we are supposed to recognize fatherhood, not just manhood, but fatherhood, <clears throat> is a day in which our nation is actually attempting to destroy fatherhood. I think regardless of political persuasion, I think most people agree that our nation is imploding that it is destroying itself. Would you agree with that? Yes. And folks, I think it's important not only to recognize, and please hear me with this, not only to recognize that our nation is destroying itself. The Bible says that righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. For a nation to glory in shame. For a nation to glory in that which God calls abomination. 
for a nation to glory in violence, would you agree that violence is on the increase? For a nation to glory in abortion or homosexuality or the murder of someone or the indifference to someone that is under an attempted murder, regardless of political affiliation, is horrendous. I find it incredulous that a Congress would withhold security from a Supreme Court judge. I don't care what their leanings are because of an attempted or a perhaps at least thought of attempt on one of their lives is not speaking good things about our nation. It is destructive. And it sends a message to people that violence and murder and fornication and homosexuality and murder, all of these things are okay, and they are not okay in the sight of God. God doesn't change. I think most of us would agree with that particular assessment. But folks, as I was thinking about this message yesterday and preparing it, I thought those who are doing those things aren't the only people that are destroying our nation. We perhaps are guilty of destroying our nation. In other words, it's not just people out there. It might be people where? In here. There are what are called unacceptable sins, and there are those that we consider acceptable sins. For instance, we're talking about fathers. Is it a sin for a father not to lead and guide his home? If he doesn't, what is he saying? If he doesn't, what is he doing? He is actually destroying his what? His home. Does everybody see that? But we have a tendency not to really call that destructive. We might acknowledge it a little bit, but we tend to see what we call the unacceptable sins to be destructive and what's destroying our nation. When I think about fathers who won't guide their homes, who don't take an interest in their homes, who don't take an interest in their wives growing in grace and maturity or religious instruction or coming to Christ or maturing them in Christ. When fathers neglect their children, who leave it to other people to nurture them or to admonish them, having no interest in their home. Their attitude is, well, I work, I provide the bacon as it were, I bring home the money, I'm too tired, this isn't part really of my responsibility. But the Bible says it is, does it not? And when we had a widespread neglect by our men, even men within the house of God, a neglecting of their families, then they are contributing to the destruction of our society and our culture. When we have people within the church of God that despise children, who really don't love children, They not only don't love to have children, they don't love children at all. They're a little nuisance. And they can be a nuisance, can't they? They're just a little nuisance. Folks, when we have that kind of attitude of despising children, whether it be our attitude about having children within a proper marriage or whether it be the neglect of them as a person, whether it be us not engaging them as adults, all of those things are contributing to the destruction of our society and to our culture. 
When we as Christian people live for the dollar, that's how we make our decisions. What are we teaching our children? What are we teaching our children when we neglect the Lord's house? When we will not come to church, the church is like priority five on the list. What are we doing? Folks, are we building up or are we tearing down? down. We are tearing down. When we don't honor the Lord's Day as the Lord's Day, and there's a lot of flexibility on how we are to honor the Lord's Day, and different Christians have different opinions about that. That's fine. But the attitude of honoring the Lord's Day must be there. Sunday is not our day. It's His day. In the New Testament, The Bible uses this term. In Revelation, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's what? Okay. Folks, that construction, the Lord's day, refers to a day owned and possessed by the Lord. Just like Father's Day. If I would say Father's Day is today, what does that mean in our nation? That they have set aside this day, right? For who? To honor fathers. What I mean when I say the Lord's Day? I mean the same day. The Lord sanctified the first day of the week, Sunday, as His day. And it is a new thing that happened on the day of His resurrection. Psalm 118 says, This is the day, the first day of the week, This is the day the Lord has made. Do you hear that? Let us rejoice and be glad in it as His day. It's not our day. It's not family day. Folks, when our fathers are not leading their homes by not honoring that day, are we building up our nation? Are we building up our families? Are we building up ourselves? Or are we being destructive? We are being what? Destructive. And then one more for our consideration. When we as fathers are not setting the example in pursuing the Lord, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. There was no pretense of Christianity in the home that I was raised in. There were times that my parents did go to church, but <clears throat> I don't know the exact number of times, but it was, it was more not than is. Way more not than is. I would have loved to have seen my father reading his Bible. <clears throat> Wouldn't have you? I would have loved to see my father leading our home in prayer. I would have loved to have known as a child that my mother and my father had sequestered themselves off in a room by themselves perhaps, and I knew that in that room they were doing nothing more and nothing less than seeking the Lord. You say, well, I know fathers and mothers who have done that and their children still went astray. Yes, but they went astray in spite of you not because of you. And folks, when we as fathers and we as mothers, when we're not setting that example, reading our Bibles every day, when we make our decisions just like the world makes their decisions, we're teaching our children something. We don't have to sit them down and say, let me teach you how to make a decision like the world. They see it. They know it. They're radar is already tuned into that.
And folks, whether it be the acceptable sins of believers or whether it be the unacceptable sins that believers don't like to see going on in the culture, both of those are destructive. So folks, I want to begin, if it has not already begun, to give just a little taste of what we need to be as a father. And young people, young men, you need to hear this because this is where you need to aspire to. And I want to look at two things. First of all, I want to look at the credibility that needs to be there and then I want to look at the behavior towards them. So first of all, the credibility. Here's Timothy in a congregation. He is a pastor with those older and younger than himself. And you'll notice in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, verse 1, the governing verb. Here's the verb. Do not sharply rebuke. Everybody see that? Do not sharply rebuke rebuke. In other words, folks, we are not to lash out at others. We're not to lash out verbally. We're not to lash out violently as if we want to strike people with our words. We are not to lash out to an older man We're not to lash out to a younger man. We're not to lash out to an older woman. We're not to lash out to a younger woman. Does everybody see that? We are not to do that. And parents, you're not to do that. But what are we to do? Well, again, look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Do not sharply rebuke an older man but rather what? Appeal or entreat Him. In other words, to entreat somebody is to speak to them with respect. And folks, you can speak with respect to a person that you disagree with. Now, you might need to think about that in our day of polarization. You may disagree vehemently with what somebody is doing. But you are not to strike at them with anger, either verbally or physically, but rather you are to speak and treat them with respect. And folks, this is regardless of the gender, This is regardless of the age. I don't care if they're one or if they're 99. Now folks, would you agree with me that that is sorely lacking in our nation today? A mutual respect even with people that we differ over. And what the Bible is telling us here is that not only does a pastor have to do this with the congregation, but he has to do this even as a believer one to another. And folks, we've got to have not only the right position. And folks, here's the thing. Everybody thinks they're right. Right? Nobody gets up and says... I'm taking this position and I want you to know I firmly believe I'm wrong. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. So everybody has what they think is right. Now the only one who is right is God. But not only do we have to have a right position, we have to have the right attitude in dealing with it. And folks, I'm going to tell you, I've had people 
I have had people meet with me and just unload on me. I mean unload. I mean yelling, screaming. And our natural tendency, folks, you know what your natural tendency is, right? If I was to get in your face and start yelling and screaming at you, what would be your natural tendency? Well, folks, your natural tendency would be to respond in like manner, but more so. Right? It's never eye for eye. It's always eye to eyes. Right? You yell louder. Well, what does the other person want to do? Well, they're more entrenched than ever and they want to be louder. And folks, when people unload on you, it hurts. It hurts. If you want to avoid the hurt, then you sin with them. But, but if you're going to sit there and respond properly, <clears throat> you're going to have to bear their sin, as it were. And I remember in the case that I'm thinking about in my own mind, I remember sitting there as they just went on and on and on and on. And I remember it was like daggers in my soul. And I remember the tears beginning to weld up. You know, when it hurts enough, that's what happens, right? Even in a man. Folks, this is hard. It's easy to show respect to someone who's respectable. But we're even to show respect to those who are not credible, not respectable. Now folks, when we're talking about credibility, I want you to turn to Titus chapter 2, what we read here for our scripture reading. Because what I want to encourage our men, and folks, what I'm encouraging the men is true for all of us. If a person has credibility, it eases others to deal with you with respect and honor. And I think we all would agree with that. If a person is respectable, it's easier to show him respect. If a person is honorable, it's much more easy to honor them. So fathers, young men, you and I need to build in our lives the credibility so that we earn the respect and honor from other people. And in Titus chapter 2, in verse 2, it talks about what older men are supposed to be. And folks, none of us are this way by birth. And it does take the bruising and the trials and the pains of life as a Christian to develop this within us. It says in verse 2, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, sound in love, sound in perseverance. So everybody see that. Would you consider that type of man to have credibility? What is he talking about? First of all, men, we need to develop self-control. And I'm speaking primarily to believers, but even as a lost person, they can develop this within their fallen nature. Folks, we don't obey everything we feel. We don't listen to the world who says, well, I know you've got all this anger bottled in, so just let it out. That is not how the Bible speaks. 
When I use the word self-control, do we all know what I mean by control? Yes or no? Yeah. All right. Who am I controlling? The other person? Yourself. Yourself. Folks, you're controlling how you act and you're controlling how you think about the situation. We need to be self-controlled. Older men are to be sober or serious-minded. Folks, remember Timothy was perhaps close to 40 years of age and he was still considered a what? A young man. <clears throat> the Bible says that when I was a child, I thought like a child. Everybody hear that? When I was a child, I thought like a child, I acted like a wife. So is there childish behavior? And is there childish thinking? Well, folks, we're living in a nation and in many cases in churches where we really don't encourage children to grow up. When you grow up, listen to Paul, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I acted like a child, but when I became a man, can you hear this? I put away what? Childish things. That's a man who's sober. He's serious-minded about the things of life. Folks, life is serious, and in spite of what the world says, men, you're not going to get to the end of your days in fun and frivolity. Life's not a, it's not a video game. It's not your phone. Life is serious. Life is dangerous. <clears throat> Got to be serious minded. Not only that, <clears throat> but you have to be dignified. Folks, there's a dignity <clears throat> that is associated with age. It's a dignity, something along these lines. <clears throat> I just want you to know that when I'm at home, I never get out the G.I. Joes and the Lincoln Logs and play on the floor. I, I, now ask my wife. She'll confirm this to you. I never said, oh good, I got an hour before bedtime. I'm going to play with the Lincoln Logs. Never. Never do I get out my wife's baby dolls <laughs> and play house. Now in my case, I won't be like putting the baby to bed. No, I'll be cleaning it, fixing the crib. You know, I, I don't do that. If you, were, if you were to be in my home, there's laughter in my home, but th there's a gravity about life. But when my grandkids come over, what do I do? <laughs> and we know that's okay. Because we know Frank Jones is not going to do that when they leave. <laughs> Why? Because there's a dignity about wisdom and older age that ought to be there. Not every man and boy attains dignity in this life. But they should, shouldn't they? And they should be sober-minded. And they should be self-controlled. And they ought to know the proper priorities of life. And if I could just say this, the priority of life is not the weekend so I can have fun. I'm not against fun. I like fun. I have two or fun things I enjoy doing. But that's what the world lives for. The weekend. No, they know the proper priorities of life. There is a, there's a sensibleness about their lives. They've 
order the priorities of their life. And if you notice in verse 2 of Titus chapter 2, you'll notice that it says sound in faith, and this is understood, sound in faith, sound in love, sound in perseverance. In other words, for a believer especially, but really this is for all people, all men ought to get saved and become sound in the faith. Everybody see that? And folks, if I say to you, you need to be an older man, and this is what you need to obtain. You need to obtain soundness of faith, healthiness of faith. That gives an implication. And what is the implication? That I may not be as sound in the faith when I'm in my 30s as I should be in my 40s or 50s or 60s or above. Right? If I've got to be sound in faith when I'm how old? Older. Then it implies that there is growth that needs to happen in my heart and in my life. You aren't born again and become experts in the faith. Older people are to be sound in the faith. They are to be, and that's to God. They are to be sound in love. That means one another. And when I'm talking about love, I'm not talking about sentimentality. I'm not talking about romanticism. I'm talking about God's divine love. We call it sacrificial. An older man will love by even sacrificing his own welfare for the welfare of others. There was a survey taken, I think within the last year, and they asked young people up through the age of 30. Here was the question. If our nation was attacked, would you fight in the military to defend our nation? Less than 30% said yes. Would you consider that healthy? No sacrifice for the good of others or the good of a nation. And to be sound in perseverance. This means that we're to be healthy in our response to this word that we don't like to say. To troubles. When you get older, do you think the troubles are less or more? Well, I used to think when I was young that they would be less. But I'm finding that they can be more. Now folks, if I look at this list, just Titus 2 and verse 2, and if I was to say to you, this man has those types of things, would you consider that man a credible man? I think we all would consider that type of man a credible man. And do you think it would be much easier appealing to him as a father if you had differences than to a childish older man? I think it would be much easier, don't you? Because his credibility has gone before him. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 5, but I want you to look over, and at least in my Bible, it's across the page, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And here again, he talks about older men. Actually, men in general, when he says, 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 8, Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Young men, older men, you and I, our life needs to be characterized by prayer. Now typically within a church, who is known for praying? Men or women? Women. That is to our shame. 
I can say prayer, myself included, I feel guilt. I can honestly say in every area of my Christian life, but especially when I think about proper praying like our Lord, I fall far short of the glory of God, don't you? But this is to be known as part of our maturity. And folks, our prayer life has to be backed up, look at verse 8, by lifting up what kind of hands? Holy hands. Folks, part of being a man of credibility is to walk in holiness. Now that's not very fashionable today in our churches. Our Lord still gets angry today at His own people in regards to their unholy living. And I see it all around. If you understood how God shows His wrath on people, you would see it all around too. Lifting up hands is praying in the New Testament. But it's not just any kind of hands, it's holy hands. Hands refer to our deeds or our actions, right? We work with our hands. These are the things that we do. And I do think it's significant, men, as we look at this in 1 Timothy 2.8, that he's not saying, I want men in every place to pray a certain amount of time. We tend to associate you know, godliness with praying a length of time. In other words, if I would say to you, well, I pray 15 minutes every day, and you said, well, I pray 30. I think most of us would say, which one's more holy? The 30 minute, right? Not necessarily so. And Paul's not saying about the eloquence of your praying. Men, I have men come to me and say, I can't pray. I can't pray publicly in the church. I, I, just, I don't know what to say. I'm not very I'm not like you, Pastor. Okay. I don't know how eloquent I am. I hope I'm not, but I just hope I'm praying scriptural things. But Paul didn't say, I want men everywhere to pray with eloquence or a certain length of time. But he did say, with what kind of hands? Holy hands. And he goes on to say that in their praying, they are to do it without wrath and dissension. Folks, would it be amazing to you to think that a person could actually pray and their hearts be full of wrath? Or strife? And the context of 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8 is in the context of what? Folks, what kind of praying is Paul telling them to pray first of all? Look at verse 1. To pray for their rulers. Everybody see that? Pray for those who are in authority over you. You ever got mad at your authorities? I have. You ever got mad at your government? I have. Paul tells men in the house of God to pray with holy hands, with no what in their hearts, no wrath toward their civil authorities. And folks, I think it's safe to say to add this, no wrath to one another in the congregation. It's hard to pray scripturally for someone if you are incensed against them. Or strife in their hearts with one another. They're actually 
kind of divided in the church against what is going on. These are things that tempt men. We get wrapped up in the wrath of the day and we get wrapped up in the seditions of the day and it affects our prayer life. And folks, you've met people like that when every time you hear them pray, they're just like praying fire and brimstone down on every authority that's anything above them. There's never a time of thankfulness in their prayer. It's just boom, boom, boom. That is not to be in our hearts. Would you say that would take maturity? We have to grow in that grace. So folks, do you agree with me that if we had a person praying with holy hands without wrath and doubting, and we had uh, our older men showing the example by being sensible and rational, grave, sober, self-controlled, would you agree with me that would bring credibility to that person? Yes or no? So lastly, how do we regard the other people? I want to quote for you three passages very quickly from the Scriptures. These are handpicked by me to show how we are to respect other men as fathers or other, bre- other younger men as brethren. Jeremiah laments the destruction of the nation of Israel in the book of Lamentations. You know that's an awful book to read. It's even a, it's a hard book to read. And this is what he says. <clears throat> this was characteristic of that day. Princes were hung by their hands. The faces of elders were not respected. Does everybody hear that? The faces of elders were not respected. And I think in context, that's definitely talking about the Babylonian young men that were there at war. Folks, it's not the older men that fight wars. It's the younger, right? And when the Babylonian army came in, they, they just raged all this. And those young men showed no respect. No respect for pregnant women. They, they took knives and gashed them. No respect for older. No respect for the elderly. The wisdom of Solomon in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 22 says this, Listen to your father who gave you birth, and do not despise your mother when she is old. That is a danger. To look down on your mother. And in our society, it's beginning at younger and younger ages. And to despise your father, the one who gave you birth, is not wise. It is the evidence of a fool. And folks, not only did Jeremiah lament this in his day, and not only did the wisdom of Solomon speak it in the book of Proverbs, but even the law says this. Now think think about doing this in our culture and think how strange people would look at you. You shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged. You shall reveal the Lord. I am the Lord. Does everybody hear that? When we were down in our conference, <clears throat> it was so refreshing. I, you saw men holding the doors up open for ladies as they left. You saw men not related to the family helping young mothers to get to the car. <laughs> That is so unusual, isn't it? Or when an older man comes up to a man who's sitting there in the pew. 
that the man actually stands up. He just doesn't sit there in the pew. He stands up. Why is he standing up? To show him what? Respect. Respect. Folks, if there's one thing that our society has been working on for perhaps a hundred years, it is the utter disrespect and disregard of older people. Our society reveres youth when the Bible reveres the aged. Why? Why does the Bible revere the age? Well, there's two reasons. Number one, God values wisdom, not sports, not strength. He values wisdom. And folks, even lost people get that wisdom as they travel through this life. It may not be Christian wisdom, but there is a wisdom that is there. And here's the most important part. Folks, if we disregard and despise the elderly and we dishonor them, we are dishonoring God. Why? Because He's called the Ancient of Days. He is the Elderly One. Right? You disregard in this life the aged. You you will disregard Him. Now He is not the Elderly One in the sense like He has a beginning and He has an ending. No, He's eternal. He always has been. He knows all wisdom and all knowledge. And when you read in Daniel, it actually said that he saw the ancients of days sitting on a throne, and what kind of hair did he have? Folks, what color? White. What is that characteristic of? An aged man, right? He's not aged. He's eternally living. He neither gets old nor decays. And this is why when, when Moses wrote to the priest, Leviticus 19, verse 32, you shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged. And he says, in connection with that, and you shall revere your God. Folks, when you show honor and respect to an aged person, whether you agree with them or not, you are honoring God. And God puts His signature on this when He says, You shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the age. You shall revere your God. And then He puts a signature. I am the Lord. The Lord has said this. Not your parents. Not your pastor, but the Lord. And folks, we need to have that type of family attitude toward those who are older than us. And in 1 Timothy 5 verse 1, we are to treat them as a father. Young men, how you grow to treat your father and mother, whether they're your natural father and mother, whether your stepmother, whoever father and mother God has placed over you, if you disrespect them, you will disrespect your wife. You will disrespect your boss at the work. And you will think your opinions are number one. And you will be a miserable person. Miserable. And one day you will face God about that. So regardless of gender or age, we are to treat older men as you would treat him as a father. Secondly, regardless of gender or age, we are to treat younger uh, younger men than us. Look at verse 1. Younger men as what? Brethren or brothers. Now this is very, very important. We're to treat younger 
as equals. Right? That's what a brother is, right? If I say a brother, I'm talking about someone that's on the same level as, as me, right? He's my brother. We're not to treat them as if they are beneath us. We're not to treat them as if their opinion is worthless. Their opinion may be worthless, but we don't treat them that way. We don't treat them as if you're educated and they're not. You're to treat them in a family type relationship. And honestly, you may not have in your home when you grew up a good sibling relationship, but the Bible talks about how to do that. Folks, the greatest honor that we could give our father if they are still living today, the greatest honor that we could give to older men, whether it be at work, definitely in church, or any of our acquaintances, is to be respectful to them. To honor them. Whether they are credible or not. If they're not credible, and they're not honorable men, it is much harder, but God still says do it. And if you're a father here today, I just want to encourage you to make it your pursuit to be a credible man. To grow in grace. To grow in your credibility. To grow in honorable behavior. And folks, you're not going to gain this overnight. It's going to take years and decades. But at the end of the days of your life, if the Lord allows you to live long enough, people will look at you and treat you with honor and respect and with credibility because the Lord has done this in your life. Wouldn't that be a blessing? Mm -hmm. And wouldn't that be a blessing to have a whole church of mature, credible men like that leading a congregation? That's what we all desire. Let's go to our Lord in prayer.